We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to Babylon Singularity. I am your host, Peter Herter. And tonight we are going to continue in the Olivet Discourse. Why are we spending so much time in the Olivet Discourse? Well, because that is where Jesus gives the most in-depth look at the end times. The time when the Son of Man will appear in the clouds with the angels of heaven coming in power and great glory to reign upon the earth, a rule that has no end, a kingdom that will not fade away. The empires that we've experienced here on earth come and go. Some last longer than others. I mean, according to God's calendar, the Roman Empire has been here since the days of Jesus, and the Roman Empire will continue and take on a transhuman dimension before Jesus returns and destroys it with the brightness of his coming. It was the statue that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 2, the the statue of that had a head of gold and a chest of silver and a midsection of bronze, legs of iron and feet that were a mix of iron and clay. It was that statue that a stone smashes the feet of that statue and the statue is destroyed and it becomes dust and the wind blows the dust away. But from that prophecy, we know that from Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, there would become another empire after Babylon. That was Cyrus's Persia. And then after Cyrus's Persia, there was Alexander's Greece, the Greco empire. And then after the empire of Greece came Rome. Those were the legs of iron, and then those legs would run through the rest of history until the very end when those legs would become a mixture of iron and clay, and it would be that final empire, that final empire that mixes iron and clay together that the kingdom of God would smash and turn all of the human empires into dust. And that rock, that stone, would become a great mountain and fill all of the earth. Statues are cool, but mountains are cooler. Statues are something humans make. Mountains are something that God makes. And if God establishes a mountain... It's not going to go anywhere. And that is the mountain that God has established in the kingdom of his son, the king that he has set in Zion. 
the Messiah, Jesus, who came to earth, was incarnate, was wrapped in flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and brought the light of heaven. But many hate the light because their deeds are evil, because they love the darkness. They would rather snuff out the light than to be exposed by it. But this incarnate word, this God-made man, Jesus, told us about what would happen in the days of his return. And we find the most lengthy, detailed account of what it would look like when he returns. And we find that account in the Olivet Discourse. And that's why I'm spending here this third episode on the Olivet Discourse. The, the first episode, we zeroed in on the, the coming of the Son of Man. The second episode, we zeroed in on the destruction of Jerusalem. Because if we want to understand what Jesus is teaching in the Olivet Discourse, we need to understand he's describing two events, two events that each experience are wrapped up in tribulation, in trouble. There are two distinct time periods, according to Jesus, where there will be great tribulation. The first is when Jerusalem would be destroyed. We talked about that in the last episode. Why Jerusalem would be destroyed? It was because God was visiting his vengeance upon the Jewish people who had not just rejected the Son of God, but had executed him. It was the parable of the vineyard and the tenants of the, the vineyard owner who had hired tenants to harvest his, his vineyard. He sent his servants to to get fruit from the, that vineyard, but those tenants scornfully treated those servants, sent them away and empty-handed until finally the owner sent his son. When the tenants saw it was his son, they said, this is the heir, let's kill him. And the question is, is what does the owner of the vineyard do with those tenants? He comes and he kills them, and he gives that vineyard out to others. That's exactly what God does with Jerusalem. He kills those who killed his son, and he hands over Jerusalem to the times of the Gentiles. That is the account that Jesus describes. So we, we actually can see not just those two events, but several other events as well. And so he describes a time that he calls the time of Gentiles when Jerusalem would be trodden under the foot of Gentiles until that time is complete. 
He describes the times around the return of the Son of Man. He says there will be global war. He says nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom. He says there will be unprecedented natural disasters. There will be famines and diseases. There will be earthquakes. And he says there will be terrifying signs in the sky, so much so that when people see the sky, their hearts are, will fail them for fear of what is coming. He tells of a final persecution of when a Christian will be hated by all nations for the sake of the name of Jesus. When the, Jesus tells of a time when the name of Jesus will be so hated that to cling to the name of Jesus will be worthy of capital punishment. You will be executed for clinging to the name of Jesus. That is how hated the name of Jesus will become. We think it's hated now, and it is. But we have not seen what Jesus is prophesying when he says families will turn on each other. Children will betray parents. Parents will betray children. Brothers betraying brothers. Friends betraying friends. All for what reason? All for the reason that the name of Jesus is so hated in the world that it becomes a capital offense to cling to the name of Jesus. And what is Jesus' message for those who live through the days of that persecution? His message is this. This is your opportunity. This is your chance. <laughs> not, exactly, <laughs> not exactly the message that comes to mind, is it? It's not the, not the first one that comes <laughs> to, the, to the mind. We're like, uh, wait, uh, we're going to get killed because of the name of Jesus? How is this good? But Jesus says, this is your opportunity. This is your doorway. His message is, you know, like, it's not like, okay, well, when you, when you guys live through that persecution, you know, then just freak out and just, just hope you make it, you know, just, just, you know, ho hopefully, hopefully you can get through that. That's not the message. The message is, this is your opportunity to bear witness because you will be brought before kings and governors. You will be brought, your witness will be a public testimony. And don't worry about what you're going to say because I will tell you what you are going to say. It will be me speaking through you in that hour. So don't worry about it. I got it.
So the prophetic timetable that Jesus gives us in the Olivet Discourse is critical to understand, but if we conflate the events, if we think the events, if we don't understand the events that Jesus is describing, we're going to not understand what he is saying. But when you break it down into their simplest forms, the timetable becomes very clear. And the timetable is this, from Luke 21. And then I, I might just go ahead and, and, and pop into Matthew as well. But before I do, I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing on this episode. Lord, we look to you and your word. We look to you and your wisdom. Holy Spirit, come and fill us to overflowing. Have your way in us. You made us. You bought us with your own blood. You fill us with your spirit, and you bring your will to pass. It is not we who are able to accomplish anything. It is you through us operating through the grace of your Holy Spirit, through your great mercies and your great love and passion and zeal to see your bride prepared for the day when she will meet you face to face. And and Jesus, we want to work with you in that zeal, in that passion that you have for your bride. So I just pray for the listeners, God, those who are listening to this episode right now, God, that you would stir them by your spirit, stir them with your word. And God, we just ask for a breakthrough of light and power. And Lord, that deception and lies and bondage to darkness would be broken and that your light and your truth would be freely proclaimed, that your word would just speak for itself, and we would give you all the glory for it, and we wouldn't fight you in your word because we don't like what you're saying to us. We want to embrace your word no matter what you are saying to us. So we ask you for grace to hear you. We ask for ears that perceive what you're saying and a heart that is faithful to apply your truth and faithful to follow through in obedience, trusting obedience. Jesus, bless this episode. It's yours. Bless your word. Teach us by your spirit now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Luke 21. Jesus tells us of a time period when he basically says, it's not yet the end. He says, when you hear of wars and tumults, don't be terrified, for these things must take place. So there's going to be wars and tumults. I don't know exactly what time period, if this is a general time period, if this is a specific time period, I'm not sure. All I know is that Jesus says, hey, if you're not in the end I mean, you might be hearing about some wars. You might be hearing about some tumults. This, that's not the end, okay? So just because there's, a, there's some wars going on, that's not the end. You're still in the not the end phase of the game. 
And so just because we, you know, we go into Afghanistan or the U.S. goes into Afghanistan or, or into Iraq or or wherever else, or there's a campaign here or there, or who knows what kind of military conflict is going on from one day to the next. Jesus is saying, hey, if this is just like normal, routine, every, you know, everyday kind of military conflict, you're still in the not the end phase. And what's Jesus's message to those who live not in the end He says, don't be led astray. Don't follow after wolves. Don't let those who have designs upon you, who are in league with the enemy, draw you away from the truth. Draw you away from following Jesus. If you live in not the end, here is Jesus' message to you. Don't be led astray. Follow Jesus. Stay faithful to the end. And that's been the story for most of us for most of the time. And that, as, as far as I know right now, we are still in that phase of the game. Right now, we are still in the phase of not yet the end. Now, Give it 10 years, give it 20 years, give it 30 years, and I think we begin to see some of the things that actually, that actually will change this season from not yet the end to the beginning of the end, and then the actual return of Jesus in the clouds. So Jesus says, if you're living in not yet the end, don't be led astray. He says this, what will, sorry, let me, let me back up just a little bit. We wonder like, what is the kickoff point of the end? When will we really, 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 really know that it's, it's basically over at this point? I mean, we're, we're, we're clinging on to the very end and there there ain't much time left and really it's it's we're getting down there. How do we know? What is what is the telltale signs of the end? Jesus identifies the telltale sign. And it's not the sign that we want to hear, but this is the sign. He says in verse 10, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquake, great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So how can we know we're living in the end? Jesus says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. This isn't your everyday, average, normal military campaign. This is World War III, when every nation is going at it. That is the kickoff point of the end. 
You see, we can look around our, our world right now and go, I don't see how any of this stuff could happen. I don't see how, you know, you know, the Antichrist could come. And I don't see how, you know, America is going to, you know, somehow be a part of the, the Antichrist empire. You know, I don't see any of this. How could this any, how could any of this happen? You know the quickest, most effective way to change the geopolitical landscape is through war. A war changes things drastically quickly. The guys who are on top one day after a war aren't the guys who are on top anymore, necessarily. They could be. They may not be. But one thing is certain, that once the world travels through the doorway of global war, The world will never be the same. The world we live in today is not the same world that awaits us after global war. The political landscape changes. The economic landscape changes. The geographical landscape changes. Everything changes and changes in a hurry when global War breaks out. And that's what Jesus says will happen. He's saying the end is marked by global war. And then there's earthquakes, natural disasters, famines, diseases, and great signs in the heavens. So that's how we know that's the end. What will happen at the end? At the end, verse 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. So even though they will kill you for the sake of the name of Jesus, not a single hair on your head will perish. The same God that gives us a step-by-step -step breakdown of what the end of the world, the end of this age, will look like is the same God that promises you will not be touched. You will be fully intact, and whatever it is that you experienced in this life will not compare to what you will experience in the life to come. And that is a life that never ends. Jesus promises that we will be Delivered up by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. Some of us they'll put to death. 
He promises that by our endurance, verse 19, we will gain our lives. That as we endure in the grace of God, we will experience more power to endure, more life. You will gain your life by enduring, by resisting, by standing with God. God will supply your every need supernaturally. You are not of this world. God has no intention of failing you ever. And as you stand with him and stand in the face of a world that has lost its mind because it fully intends to depart from their creator, which is suicide by darkness. You will find as you stand against a world that has joined itself fully in confederacy with Satan's desire to dethrone God, a world that despises God more than anything else that that God that they despise will be giving you power to endure and to endure to the end, all the way through. All the way through to the end. So Jesus tells us, hey, when they bring you up in front of kings and governors for his namesake, don't worry what you're going to say in and when they ask you to testify, don't even give it a thought. Just settle it in your mind that Jesus will answer. That's the kind of power that we will be operating that we will be operating in in the days ahead. So we need to understand that uh, Jesus is telling us about this time called the end that is marked by a global war. When we were reading through the Olivet Discourse, the other thing we need to understand is that Jesus is also talking about a different time with a different tribulation. And if we can understand that those two events are separated by thousands of years, then we can have a, an interpretive grid with which to understand the Olivet Discourse. Those two events are the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and the appearing of Jesus in the clouds in about 2,000 years later. I'm, I'm assuming it's in the 21st century. I could be wrong. Maybe we got another 1,000 years. Who knows? I'm just, something tells me we're getting there. So these two events, the first event is the destruction of Jerusalem, when the wrath of God was visited upon Jerusalem. That's verse 20. Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you can know that its desolation has come near. He basically says, for those who are living in that day, what's Jesus's message? For those who live in that day, Jesus's message is get out of Judea. 
If you're in Jerusalem, get out. Why? Because verse 22, these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. There will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Which people? This people, the Jewish people. The Jewish people would be dispersed and Jerusalem would be handed over to the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That's one event, the destruction of Jerusalem, verse 20. The second event, separated by thousands of years, is verse 25. Sorry, verse 27. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What is Jesus' message to those who are living in the times when there will be great signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth, distress on nations, perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear for what is coming upon the world because the powers of the heavens are shaken? What's Jesus' message for those who are about to see Jesus appear in the clouds with great power and glory? What's the message? His message is this, straighten up and raise up your heads. Your redemption is near. Jesus is almost here. Get ready. So Jesus gives a final kind of warning to watch ourselves. That what, what do we do in light of what we know about what Jesus is telling us about these different time frames? Jesus says, watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. For that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's a real verse that we really need to pay attention to. That's, that's one of those verses that when we see it, we shudder and pretend that it doesn't exist. But that's not good enough. We actually need to take that verse at face value. We need to stay awake at all times, and we need to be praying that we have the strength to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus isn't telling us to do push-ups, buy guns, get a bunch of survival food, or whatever it is. He's telling us to build our prayer life in Him and to trust in Him to supply the strength to escape these things and to stand before him. This is a call to intimacy. Jesus is calling us to intimacy. The only way to escape these things is through intimacy with Jesus. Anything else is a trap. Anything that draws you away from prayer Anything that draws you into fear is a trap. And Jesus says that these 
these things will come upon an unsuspecting world. And I think we'll probably get into that maybe next time. I'm, I'm just going to kind of keep this short. This is going to be my summary of Luke 21. Next time, we're going to jump into Matthew. We're going to take this paradigm that we've established in Luke 21, because Luke t- tells us in, in chapter 1 that his aim was to give an orderly account of Jesus, Jesus's gospel. And so he had followed these things closely and he gave an orderly account. So if we want to understand the prophetic order that Jesus lays out in the Olivet Discourse, it is good to start in Luke 21, establish the order from the orderly gospel, and then take that order that we are able to establish in Luke 21 and apply it to Matthew 24. Because it is the same Olivet Discourse. The order is different. The language is different. Some of the details come to us in different ways. But it is two different accounts of the same teaching. Jesus taught his disciples on the Mount of Olives about when Jerusalem would fall and when the Son of Man would appear in the clouds. That was one event that comes to us through three different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it is Luke that gives us the order. And Matthew will give us some richness that, and, and detail that we, that, that, that we, we don't find in, in Luke. We might spend a little bit of time in Mark 2, but uh, Matthew and, and Mark are close enough that it probably doesn't need its own treatment. But certainly, Luke and Matthew should be treated separately and fully independently as two differing uh, perspectives of the same teaching. And so, so next time we'll, we'll, we'll jump into Matthew, all that to say that. And so I'll, the, the things I guess I'll leave you with this is that, and then this will lead us into Matthew 24, is that these events of the end, this global war and unprecedented natural disaster and these terrifying signs in the heavens are going to come upon an unsuspecting world. Jesus calls them labor pains. He calls them, um, what does he call them? He calls them, these are the, uh, the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows is, a, is another way of saying the beginning of like labor pain. And I, I've been married, you know, for over 15 years or so, and I've, I've got four kids so I'm I'm not an expert. I'm I'm certainly no medical doctor, but I've got an idea of what the experience of labor pains mean. And it seizes upon an unsuspecting person who's one one minute sitting there in their kitchen making peanut butter sandwiches, and then in the next minute hunched over moaning 
and ready to go to the hospital. It is a attention-getting mechanism that says, hey, now's the time. I don't care what you were thinking about before. I don't care what you had planned before. It doesn't matter. It's over, and now labor is beginning. And so Jesus says that that is... The ex- that will be the experience of the world as the end time events happen upon a world that is living oblivious to the end. But these end time events will seize upon this unsuspecting world and God will demand the attention of the nations because Jesus is returning and this is a serious matter. This is the most serious matter that faces the nations today. And Jesus will get our attention. We're not going to snooze through this one. We will be fully awake, fully engaged, fully attentive when this thing rolls through. So, I guess I'll just kind of leave it at that. That's that's my uh, my summary of of what we've been doing in Luke. I think it's I think it's helpful for us to understand uh, the Olivet discourse, beginning with Luke, um, and understand that these are the these are the events that Jesus is prophesying, so that we can understand that there's two different events, two primary events to to consider when we're reading through the Olivet Discourse. And so I'm really hoping that I'm spurring you to to read these things for yourself because the sign that I'm I'm trying to sell you something or to try to pull wool over your eyes is for me to sit here and, and explain the Word of God through these vast, complex systems and systems of, of thinking and and theory and and I'm not I'm I'm doing everything I can to not do that. I'm trying to simply read the word as it is and just lay it out before you and for your consideration. And hopefully, you know, maybe you had some preconceived ideas about the Olivet discourse about what Jesus was saying and how it regards to his return and and in regard to the church and how the the church is called to endure to the end. Um, Maybe, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people who don't even want to hear, you know, what the Bible really has to say, but it is critical that we take God at his word. We don't mix it. We don't dilute it. We don't change it. We don't pervert it. We don't twist it. We speak it. We read it, we receive it, and we live in light of it. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm stirring you up to go get into your Bible, because even, we're not going to agree on everything. I, I get that. I'm not trying to get you to agree on everything. I'm trying to get you to seek God. I'm trying to get you to, to, get, to, to seek after Jesus in His Word, in prayer, and to be alert and alive and looking for him to come. That's, what I, that's my, my great hope. My great, my, my great passion and desire is to see the church, the bride of Christ, prepared to meet him. 
And so that that's what I'm I'm working for. And you know, I, I think my um, approach to this podcast is probably going to change. I've I've tried to do a bunch of research before I would uh, turn on the mic and and try to have some idea what I'm talking about. I think more and more now I'm probably just going to turn on a mic and just open the Bible and just start start reading and talking about what's going on in, in the Bible. And then you know, hopefully, if it blows up in my face, I guess I'll probably have to. Um, reevaluate what I'm doing, but I think it's important for me to stay in front of this microphone as much as possible, stay in the word and just, just not be too concerned about having all of the dots connected, but, um, just allow the, the Holy Spirit just to work through me more and more. And so that's, that's my approach here. So I, I'm hoping you got something out of the episode today. I'm hoping you're blessed by it. Um, I just I love God's word and and I hope you I hope I hope the Lord is speaking to you in your heart. I hope you're really blessed and draw near to him. I mean honestly my my great reward is to know that there's saints out there that are seeking God more because of how God is using me. That's my that's my great desire. Is that Lord, you know, use me to cause your saints to seek after you. That's that's my great reward. Um, so I'll leave it there for now. Hopefully you uh, join me next time. Until then, saints, let's be watching. Let's be praying. Let's be proclaiming that Jesus is King. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.